This is a Willits Point Shea Stadium bound 7 express train. The next and last stop is Willits Point Shea Stadium. Yes, it is the Subway to Shea podcast. Anthony Rivera here with you talking about all the news and happenings surrounding that team from Queens, the New York Mets. You can follow the show on Twitter at Subway to Shea. Listen and subscribe to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Cast. Turn on those notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. Also, please take a few minutes to write me a review and let me know what you think of the show. What you like, what you don't like, I want to know so that I can make this show better for each and every one of you out there listening. And if you rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, that's only making this even better. I got a review from Mets777. He says, a grand slam, a brick solid pod found during an exhaustive search for current Mets content, quality stuff. He talks current team situations, breaks down some team stats, gives fair takes on the Mets. If you're a realistic fan who likes hearing real talk about the blue and orange, check this pod out. Well, Mets 777, thank you so much for that review. I appreciate it. Also got a review from Mets Fan 25. He says, the great thing about this podcast is that it is made by a huge Mets fan, not a common analyst, and targeted to hard fans that want fresh information. This fan-to-fan point of view makes this one a cool option because Anthony has same thoughts, questions, and answers that a Mets fan could have. Here in Mexico and in Latin America, there are no info about the team of Queens, so this podcast has a great value for me. Vamos Mets. That's right, Mets fan 25. Vamos Mets, and I appreciate your review. So there you have it. A couple of reviews there. Rate the show, review the show on Apple Podcasts. Leave those for me. I'll make sure to read them on the air as they come in. In before we get started with this week's episode, I wanted to thank Tyler Ward again for being my guest last week. Tyler is a Mets content creator on YouTube. Make sure to subscribe to his channel, Wardy NYM, and check out all his videos. Thanks again, Tyler, and can't wait to bring you back on Subway to Shea. Now, on with this week's episode. Joining me now on the Subway to Shea podcast is Jake Brown. Jake is the executive producer for sports podcasts at the New York Post, and one of those podcasts. Podcasts include the Mets podcast Amazing But True, which he co-hosts with former Mets pitcher Nelson Figueroa. It's a great podcast that you should subscribe and listen to. Jake, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. You know, I am uh, like the Mets, the walking wounded, fighting a cold, some congestion. So uh, someone with a a strange name might have to replace me on the podcast next week if I don't get better. (laughs) It goes right from the players to the fans. It infects everyone. You know, you get it in transitive property. You get it by watching. (laughs) <laughs> through the screen. It's like COVID. It just passes through uh, watching on TV. Unreal, unreal. Let's get right into it. What a start to the second half of the season. You could not have asked for enough drama 
in both the Pittsburgh Pirates series and the Cincinnati Reds series. The Mets finished their road trip 3-3. Three and three. It didn't start off too well in Pittsburgh. Mets dropped the first two games, and in basic plain English, the Pirates whooped that ass. All three games had some interesting storylines. Obviously, in game one, you had the battle between Stroman and John Nagowski, who is uh, public enemy number one, I assume, to a lot of Mets fans. Game two, Lugo and Diaz blew that six-run lead and then into Game 3, at the beginning, Taiwan Walker and his uh, comedy of errors in the first inning. But then something changed. For the first time since becoming manager of the Mets, Luis Rojas had a blow-up with the home plate umpire. I've never seen him this angry before because he's usually so even-keeled. This kind of translated on the field. The Mets came back, returned the favor to the Pirates and won 7-6. That energy and momentum carried into the Red Series, and you never felt like the Mets were out of the game. You know, they won game one against the Reds by a football score of 15-11. to And then even losing in game two, they kind of started to mount a comeback. Jake, I want to know your thoughts here. The one thing that has been constant about this team all year has been their resiliency. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, you thought they were down Saturday. Mets fans were ready to jump off the cliff. And Sunday, first inning comes along, and you're ready to even jump, you know, off a bigger cliff. And, uh, you know, going into the second inning, you're thinking, what happened to the first place Mets? They fight back Sunday, and then, you know, obviously, like you said, the crazy Reds game, 15-11, and then the stress-free victory outside of, you know, McNeil pulling up a little lane. Uh, That was the only stress in that game. But, yeah, it's been resilient. There's new guys coming in every day that you've never even heard of. Uh, You know, we... I do this stuff for a living, and I don't even know half these guys. I don't know Banda and Nagasek and these, you know, this uh, Blankenhorn we knew a little bit, but every day it's someone new that's on the roster that, that does something that helps the team, and that's what championship teams need. They, everything from 1 to 26, and the Mets is everything 1 to 69. We joked on the show today, I, I tweeted that the Mets might, you know, go through 69 players. Well, I think they're at 54, so by the end of the year, they might actually hit that number, which would uh, certainly be nice if they did uh, but it, it would not be nice for the sake of god it is incredible uh the injuries it's like a guy pitches one inning and he's hurt so you never know what's going to come you don't know who's playing you don't know who's pitching heck the mets don't know who their pitchers are sunday and they don't know who their pitchers are for monday's doubleheader so i give some of the credit to rojas i give credit to these players and you know the, these backups who have done a serviceable job the mckinney's the Peraza's. The blanket horns, everyone A to Z has made a contribution, some less than others, but, you know, the bats are coming around now. The pitching's been good, and the key will be is, you know, if Jacob DeGrom can stay healthy, and if he does, they're in pretty good shape here, and obviously it'll come down to what they do uh, trade deadline next week. Well, like you mentioned, it seems like every night someone else is contributing, and that is leading to why the Mets are in first place right now. In the first half, it was the pitching staff. The starters in the bullpen had to carry this team when the offense was pretty much non-existent. But now, to start the second half, it feels like the offense has finally woke up, sometimes even carrying the pitching. Uh, Pre-All-Star break, they scored 3.72 runs per game, which was 29th in Major League Baseball, I think second to last to the Pirates, which was surprising seeing how well they played in the series. Post-All-Star break, 6.67 runs per game, which is 6th in Major League Baseball right now. What has been most impressive in bringing this offense back to life, and who have you been impressed with the most? Well, I think Conforto's 
clutch hitting has been key. You know, the homer in Pittsburgh, the thing, the knock on Conforto is he hasn't been clutch for this team. I think his clutch hits have been huge. Nimmo getting on base, he frustrates the heck out of you when he looks at strike three. But when he's his OBP is like nearly 500, the fact that he's getting on base, he's setting the table atop the order. So he's been good. Jeff McNeil, I mean, this guy is called McKitt for a reason. When he's on, uh, he's scary. I mean, he's this is a 300 hitter, which is like a phenomenon in today's game. You hit 300. That's 300 is the new 400 in, t- in this year's MLB. Um, so McKitt's has been big. Dom has been big. The real key, I think, is Alonzo, just because he is the guy that everyone fears. He's the power bat, and, you know, he hasn't been tearing the cover off the ball. But when Alonzo's on in the juice of that order and now filling in in the two-hole, and when a guy like Nimmo gets on, he brings him home, or he blasts a home run, brings home a couple of guys. When Pete Alonzo is on, and, you know, it's a very home run or bus game in today's MLB with uh, so many strikeouts. I think Alonzo's the most important guy, and Nimmo's that table setter. So I'd say the most important has been Alonzo, but really, uh, top to bottom, all these guys are contributing. It's unfortunate Lindor got hurt because he was really finding himself. He was getting big hits, and obviously we know how good his defense is. Uh, so hopefully they could get him back later in the year. But, you know, I love seeing Alonzo mash, and, you know, the, everyone, oh, his, his numbers are going to get hurt. Home run derby, not going to be the same. Well, that's not happening. He's still. Pete Alonzo and he's in a group and you mentioned him batting second that's kind of been a big issue for me I'm not used to seeing a power hitter especially of his stature hitting second it wasn't ever Ricky Henderson then Mike Piazza in the batting order or Jose Reyes then Carlos Delgado in the batting order are you okay seeing him hit second I kind of want to see him a little maybe third or fourth that way more people are on base yeah, but, you know, you, sometimes you get 8-9-1-2 or 9-1-2 or pinch hitter 1-2. I think, you know, I think their main reason to do that is to split up the lefties and righties, which I always think is an overrated, you know, mm-hmm. stat or you need lefty, righty, righty, lefty, all that. So I, I think McNeil probably makes more sense there, but... Again, he doesn't want to go lefty, lefty, righty. But if I were to do it, yeah, I'd probably have McNeil two, Alonzo three. Um, that seems to make the most sense. But I, I don't worry too much about the order as much. In some ways, it could mean Alonzo comes up more, which you want. Um, and he's had some big opportunities at the plate in late innings. So uh, I'm not going to kill him over that. I don't think that's the end of the world. But ideally, you have McNeil, especially now that he's hot in the two-hole. But not much you could do. You didn't expect Lindor to be out. So you're kind of adjusting on the fly here. Yeah, it's crazy to think how well this offense has been playing over the last couple of days and Francisco Lindor is not even a part of it obviously he's on the IL with the oblique strain we don't know how long he's going to be out for some people say six to eight weeks who knows but he is a huge part not only offensively but defensively and I think just as a leader on the team is something missing from that lineup yeah I mean it's it's sad to see him not there i mean it's he was really coming into his own and i think he was getting rid of the boo birds and uh everyone was on his side it felt like so to lose him was tough but now you're just hoping he's here for the final stretch run now with obliques you just never know my worry is he's going to come back or come back too soon and then re-injure himself you need him for late off september and obviously october um and I think you need him 100%. You can't have him, you know, worrying every swing that he's going to re-enter that oblique. And you're seeing with Guillaume. Guillaume's fine defensively, but he's a lot better at third than he is at short. So I think you're losing a lot of defense up the middle there. I mean, you noticed it with the other day when he made those errors. You know, Lindor 
is not making those kind of errors. And VR just doesn't have the range to play shortstop every day. So it'll be interesting to see if, if they do for the short term try and get, I know Chris Bryant's the talk, but if they try and get an actual shortstop for the next six to eight weeks or however long one doors out to replace him. Once again, I'm here with Jake Brown. He's the executive producer for sports podcasts at the New York Post, including the Mets podcast Amazing But True, which he co-hosts with former Mets pitcher Nelson Figueroa. We just talked about the offense, so let's move to the pitching staff, which has taken such a beating as of late. A staff that, coming into this season, had so much depth is now down to two starters from the opening day roster. The latest blow being Jacob deGrom, who was put on the IL with right forearm tightness. Thankfully, there's no structural damage, but it's one injury after another for this team and for this staff. What do you make of all these injuries to the pitching staff? I've never seen anything like it. Um, deGrom, it's almost been like every part of his body. You know, I'm waiting for sprain. Next is going to be sprained ankle. Then it's going to be sprained toe. I mean, at this point, I'm surprised he hasn't got the Syndergaard special, the hand, foot, and mouth disease. I mean, he's had everything but that, it seems like. it's It's been tough. You know, I think they're doing well filling in, but it's almost like by default because the division has been so bad. I mean, if they're in any other division, they're not a first-place team. So they're getting lucky that how bad the rest of the division is. You know, if they're in the AL East, they're an afterthought for the playoffs right now. Um, you know, the wild card situation, they'd be screwed because it's, you know, Dodgers, Padres, Giants. Those teams are already, they might as well just say it's over there. So they have zero chance to win the wild card. So it's on the division. So, you know, I think they have to go out and get a starter. They got to get a Barrios. They got to try and get a Hendrick. One of those guys, they need a, really a number two. Because if DeGrom were, God forbid, to miss October, I'm, I'm sorry. I know they've been good, but I'm not in love with game one Stroman, game two Walker, or vice versa. I know they've been good. But you're facing elite offenses, the top teams in the league in the playoffs. And it's such a different story when you have, you know, in the championship series and the World Series, one, four, seven, DeGrom. You have DeGrom potentially for three games. I mean, you could lock yourself in if, the, if they score to put three potential wins by one starting pitcher. I don't think fans are as comfortable saying that for a Strowman who's been up and down, for a Walker who has had a couple of rough outings here. And listen, they have been remarkable and they've carried the load with DeGrom out, but October is a different animal. So I'd like to see DeGrom back. I'd like to see them get an arm, um, give credit to these guys. We might end up seeing Tropiano now in this next week. We'll probably see other guys that, you know, we weren't on the team or that they add. But, uh, you know, the bullpen is getting taxed. They're getting overused. It's been a big concern with Diaz's struggles and even Lugo getting pounded a little bit. So, you know, those guys are only getting more tired. There's not a ton of off days. You had one on Thursday, and, you know, there's not a ton of you them ahead. You still have another three doubleheaders on the schedule this season. So, you know, they got to get a – I honestly, they need two off. They need a reliever and a starter or two starters. They went from having all the depth to not having depth. You know, they're missing guys like Tommy Hunter and Jordan Yamamoto. Obviously, Lucchese's done for a while, but, you know, Yamamoto – went out once and then got hurt. Tommy Hunter goes out once and then he gets a hit and then gets hurt. So it's almost like you barely saw these guys, but mm -hmm. they're guys that were addressed as depth and, and guys will provide depth. And now you're on your depth, depth, depth. You're on like your third <laughs> string depth guys. Uh, so it's been wild that they've gotten through this many players and are still in first, but that excuse isn't going to fly if and when I do think they win the division. So I'd love to see Uncle Stevie here go and get a legit starter and a legit reliever. You know, a package, I'd love a dream. In a dream world, we get Hendricks, Kimbrell, Brock, 
Bryant, but obviously it's a pipe dream. Or a Donaldson and Barrios. Those are the two packages everyone's talking about. But uh, that would be the splash that I think would, you know, pack City Field these last two months and get people really excited on the playoff push. Well, it's been like a trickle-down effect with the pitching staff. If we're losing the starting pitchers, the bullpen can only do so much. They're doing so many bullpen games that they're starting to get tired. Seth Lugo, Edwin Diaz not have had a good stretch the last couple of days. Edwin Diaz has blown three straight games already. Are you worried at all about Edwin Diaz right now? Oh, yeah, I'm worried. Um, Figgy is not that worried. Which, I don't know. He He thinks that you should keep putting him out there. I think he needs a lower leverage role right now try to get his mind right he's a guy you know that's it's very much mental with him and uh you know he's had the issues in the past with the fans booing himself and last year he was better because you know there were no fans um so i think listen i think the excuse was bs about you know he needs Lindor, <laughs> yeah. Lindor out there i mean come on you're a big league pitcher i get it and obviously the spanish language connection and Lindor coming to talk to him in those situations but you're a big league closer with dominant stuff you have to be better so i'm a little worried i think they should go with loop honestly because loop's a guy who can even give you two or eight eighth and ninth um lugo's been a little inconsistent so i would go with a loop or a may not as comfortable with Familia because we've done that song and dance before uh, for many years. So I'm a little past the Familia stage. But you brought these other guys in here for a reason. If Diaz were to struggle, get her all the above. And I think now is the perfect time to maybe experiment with either a May or a Loopy or a Closer. At least for a couple of weeks, let Diaz get his mind right. It's not like the stuff isn't really there. He's just lost his confidence and maybe not locating his pitches like he should be. Yeah, it seems like the control with him is becoming a huge issue anytime I see him the first two or three pitches if he's not throwing a strike I already know that we're in trouble with him on the mound but could you see maybe how they you know did half John Franco half Armando Benitez like they did in 99 you could see that maybe with a loop or a may giving him you know partial role as a closer yeah, I could see that. You know, I guess it'll depend. If it's two or three lefties, you do a loop. If it's, you know, all righties, you go May. I think they might play it that way. You know, I, I'm indifferent. You know, I think Loop's clearly been the most dominant guy. He has had the least opportunities where May has had ups, he's had downs. I think Loop makes the most sense, but you also like Loop as an option when you do have lefties in those middle innings or you need him. In, a, in one of those double headers, or you need him here on the seventh or eighth. So I'm on the side of loop and not going, I'm picking one, but I could see them doing both. But it seems right now, you know, right now they have all the confidence still in Diaz. So all of this is really an afterthought until they tell us, hey, we're going to make a switch because they seem to keep going. It's going to take, I think if he blows the next one, you have to at least, you know, give him a break for a mm-hmm. week because it, it's getting out of hand. You can't blow three in a row and then go for him for a fourth and a fifth and a sixth. I mean, this is a playoff push. This isn't a team, you know, fighting for last place. They're fighting yeah. for a division title. So there's no more messing around with this guy. And I've seen a lot of talk about this on Twitter. Do you think sticky stuff has impacted him or maybe like a Castro, anyone else in this pitching staff? Oh, 100%. I think it's really affected Castro for sure. Um, yeah, me and Figgy have talked about this with his changeup grip. You know, he added that pitch in the offseason and everyone was raving about it. He was killing the first two months. These guys are just seeing the fly. It's definitely affecting them because these guys are, you know, have some filthy stuff, but 
you know, we don't know for sure, like the Garrett Cole situation, where he basically flat out admitted it, because these guys haven't admitted it. But, you know, the stats line up where the struggles began, you know, in June, when the sticky stuff bad happened, there clearly is some kind of correlation there, uh, for Casher especially, because he went from dominant to very bad um, overnight, right around when that, that ban was put on. So, you know, I thought baseball, it was it's a joke, it's a disgrace that they did that wait till the off season, let these guys try and adjust and, you know, make the change in the off season. It was ridiculous that they did that, but you know, you got to go with the rules and there's everyone. Strowman has had times he struggled. You know, Walker's had times he struggled. So these guys got to, you know, Figgy explains as well with, you know, the adjustment on their wrist on these breaking balls and the flick of the wrist. There's more of that and torque. And he uses all these big words that uh, I'm not smart <laughs> enough and I, I'm not a pitcher, so I don't know, but there's a lot of adjustment on your wrist with these breaking balls that are, isn't needed as much when you use the tacky stuff. When you don't have the tacky stuff, there's a lot more torque and action going on on the wrist, on these change-ups, on these sliders, on these curveballs. I think these pitchers are still trying to adjust to all that. Well, with all the struggling from this pitching staff as of late, thankfully, we got a nice bounce back from Marcus Stroman against the Reds. Eight innings pitched, one hit, one walk, seven strikeouts in a seven to nothing victory. It was a much needed break for this pitching staff. Like you mentioned, they're exhausted from top to bottom, having to play multiple bullpen games. So to see Stroman come through, pretty huge. I got to ask you, what is your take on Marcus Stroman? Because I've never seen a fan base so conflicted, so divided on a player, especially that's been so successful like him. You know, I like him. I, I'm i hesitant to give him, like, you know, a six-year, $150 million, some crazy contract. Um, if he's asking $30 million a year, I say, I'm good, move on to the next. You know, if you could get him, like, three years, $60 million, fine, I would do that. It would depend on the price, but... I root for him. I'm not I respect the confidence as a New Yorker. He's, you know, I understand it. The swagger, the ego, I get it. You know, I have a little bit of it, you know, being a New Yorker, Queens guy, a bit of an ego, the, the swag to him. I understand that. But, you know, I don't know why people, you know, Mets fans root against him. It's like, he's on our side. You got to root for the guy. Sometimes he's just a little over the top, but, uh, it would depend on the price if I, if they brought him back. I worry that if he got a six-year deal, not that he would check out, but he might not be the same pitcher. Um, but, you know, I, I wouldn't say I'm indifferent, but I'm definitely more on pro Stroman side. And, you know, some things he just says, he just makes assumptions about people that are a little wild. But I, I love the swagger and confidence as long as he goes out there and proves it. For the most part, he has. There's been outings he's either stunk or he's just laboring out there. And the, the trash-talking stuff isn't, isn't all on him. It's like when Nagowski got mad at him, that was clearly Nagowski starting it. There's times where you see why hitters don't like him. There's been teammates in the past who've said they maybe didn't, weren't in love with him. But I, if he's winning ball games, I'm all for him. All right, with the trade deadline is Friday, July 30th. The Mets will definitely be active. I know a lot of fans want Chris Bryant. Zach Scott says he's made it clear that pitching is of the utmost importance, and I kind of agree with him. Obviously, we talked about earlier, you agree as well. Need a starter or two, maybe need a reliever. Is there anyone that has caught your eye as a good fit for the pitching staff? Well, hitting-wise, it won't be Nelson Cruz because he was just traded to the Tampa Bay Rays, as we're speaking. To, oh, wow. Uh, from the Twins to the Rays. So, good move for the Rays there, trying mm-hmm. to win that division. Like the guys that said before, like Barrios and Brian. The thing with Brian is that now it feels like 
at least for the next four to six weeks, you need more of a shortstop. But I think the, I love about Brian is that you can move him all over. I'm just not willing to trade all these top prospects to get him. Um, you know, Hendricks, Barrios, Kimbrell, those those are kind of my big three. Maybe a guy like a Jordan Lyles. I just think they need a real impact pitcher, and I don't know if Lyles is that kind of guy. Um, any of these fifth starters, like a Tyler Anderson from Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. they just don't bring you know that much excitement to the fan base. Barrios is the number one guy. I think with Minnesota, they should be in sell. No, I think they're in the other league. You know, there's no worry about same league, same division. Barrios, Donaldson combo, or just Barrios himself makes the most sense. Add another lefty. The guy's young. Hefner was raving about him. It just seems like a no-brainer. So if I'm I'm dialing Minnesota up every day and trying to get a deal done for him because you know not you want a guy too with with like a guy like Brian. It's a rental. You want a guy that's here for a couple of years because you're going to potentially lose Stroman. You're going to potentially lose Syndergaard. They're going to be left with you know without a rotation. And Barrios at least has one more year of arbitration, so you get him for an affordable amount, and then he'll become a free agent. So. You'll get Barrios for two months, and then you'll get him for next year for a good price. And, you know, I think a lot of people look at, if not this year, as next year being that championship kind of Mets year because the pieces are certainly in place that you want someone who was going to be part of a championship puzzle uh, for 2022. And I think Barrios would be that guy. I know Tyler Anderson is not a big name or maybe even Wade Miley. The thing I like about those two guys is they're both lefties and even when some of these guys come back, you can slot them in. I always thought that we needed at least two lefties in the bullpen, and, and it seems more important now, especially with how well Aaron Loops pitched. I kind of don't want to overtax him for the stretch run. So if we could get a lefty in here, even if he's a spot starter, uh, a long man, to then transition to the bullpen, I think that would be a big move for the Mets. It might not be the most flashy name, but I think getting one of those guys is pretty big. Yeah, Ferris doesn't work out, I would 100%. Especially the Reds, you know, potentially becoming sellers. Now, they, I think, have overachieved in some aspects with their over 500. Um, but I think they're starting to realize with how good the NL West is and how good the Brewers have been that they're not really in the race. I mean, listen, Miley's having a great year. He's under contract next year for $10 million, So not expensive for another year. I think this year for a lot of pitchers has been a, a bit of an anomaly. We're seeing guys who either we haven't heard of or have been mediocre be Cy Young candidates. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of that's just been with the bad hitting and the hitters' approaches and um, just how the game has been uh, this season and, and all analytics and everything. Um, so if they could get Miley for, for cheaper, I say go for it. I agree. I think a lefty would be pivotal for this rotation with losing Lucchese. I think to have, you know, if you go in the playoffs with DeGrom, Stroman, Walker, and then if you need Miley or Barrios, um, or if DeGrom's out, if you have a Barrios or a Miley, that definitely makes you feel a little bit more confident than, you know, having to throw out bullpen arms or, uh, you know, Robert Stock or yeah. one of these guys who you would hope isn't on the roster then. So, yeah, I would take Miley. Anderson's, uh, I don't know, he's, he's on the Pirates. I, can, I don't know how I feel about bringing a Pittsburgh Pirate in. If they got him, I'd be like, all right, who else are we getting? <laughs> or like, you got to package him with someone else. But Miley's definitely in the conversation after Barrios if you talk about a guy who is a difference maker, at least that season. I know this guy is a free agent at the end of the year. The Nationals have not really said if they're going to be sellers or not, but, you know, Max Scherzer may be available, and I've heard that the general manager does not mind trading within the division. Would you take a flyer on Scherzer, even if it's just for the stretch run? 
I I don't know. I would be kind of surprised, to be honest, if they did trade into the Mets and didn't really ask for the world, I think. Um, I know. Listen, I know he's a rental, but I think they're going to ask for a lot from him. He's Max Scherzer. So all the power to Steve Cohen and company, if they can pull it off, I would just be stunned if the Nationals traded to the Mets, two teams that obviously don't like each other, and they help the Mets, who are all Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom. How garbage the Nationals and their fan base would feel like watching that happen. Um, it just seems like too good to be true for it to happen. So if it happened and we, you know, we're giving up Ventos or, or we're giving up Mauricio and maybe one other prospect, sure, give them to me. But I just, it would, it would shock me if the Mets got shares. Well, speaking of those prospects, you're going to have to give up something to get something. So which prospects are you willing to trade at this point? I would give up Ventos. I wouldn't. See, Vantos and Mauricio, I wouldn't give up if it was just for Chris Bryant. But if you're getting Barrios, I think both those guys are expendable. I don't think you could trade Alvarez. Listen, the guy's tearing the cover off the ball. But I think Vientos and Mauricio, you know, both, you know, play a little short, play a little third. Um, if if you trust J.D. and J.D.'s bat is least proven, I know his, his defense leaves a lot to be desired at third base. You know, you could probably use a, a good defensive third baseman, so... Yeah, I don't know. I think if the price is right, I'm fine trading Vientos or Mauricio, but I say keep Alvarez. Alvarez is the one untouchable, but you know, that's it, basically. I mean, they don't have a, Beatty, I don't think, is untouchable. Uh, obviously, Kumar Rocker is untouchable. He's, mm-hmm. you got to watch him pitch first. But uh, I think Mauricio and Vientos, if the price is right, like I said, not Bryant, not a rental, but a guy under contract, I'm comfortable trading those guys. Well, Jake, before we wrap this up, let everyone know what you have coming down the line content-wise and where they can catch you on social media. Yeah, you can follow me on social media, Jake Brown Radio. I actually just made a TikTok account. I gave in and finally made one, so you can follow <laughs> me on TikTok. I need some followers on there. Um, Mondays and Thursdays, Amazing But True podcast, uh, me and Nelson Figueroa. Uh, we've had a tremendous guest list. I'm sure we'll have some more coming up. We should have JJ John Zastrzemski coming. Um, one of the uh, the Barstool Pop Mets podcast guys. Uh, we should have some other big guests. We'll have Jim Brewer back on. Probably have Piazza and Wright back on in the coming months. Stock Benton always comes on. So uh, our guest li- list is second to none. And then football comes out. I host the Gangs All Here podcast. So if you're a Jets fan, I do the New York Post Jets podcast as well. And if you're a Giants fan, we have Blue Rush with Lawrence Tynes, Paul Schwartz and me. Uh, so we have Jets and Giants covered coming up. And yeah, sports world never sleeps. At some point, I'll be on a tropical island, but it won't be for a while. At one point, you're going to need to take a vacation. But right now, you're the busiest man in podcasting. Yeah, the podcast never sleeps. I'm going <laughs> to get a t-shirt. Podfather t-shirts made soon uh, with me smoking a cigar <laughs> with a mic- microphone in front of me. Well, Jake, I can't thank you enough for joining me today. And I hope we could do this again real soon, man. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks. That was Jake Brown. He is the executive producer for sports podcasts at the New York Post, including the Mets podcast Amazing But True, which he co-hosts with former Mets pitcher Nelson Figueroa. Make sure to check out that podcast. Give it a listen and subscribe. Now, my final thoughts before this train leaves the station. Congratulations to Pete Alonso on defending his home run derby title, besting Salvador Perez, Juan Soto, and Trey Mancini. We did a podcast right before the home run derby, so I didn't really get to talk about it. Talking about it right now, 
He hit 35 in the quarterfinals, 15 in the semis, and 23 in the final round, totaling out to 74 home runs, second most in the a single derby. Now, he is the most all-time with 131 home runs. More than Pete Alonso, Dave Jouse may have stole that show. He might be the real MVP. He's been born a Met legend now coming out of that home run derby and as you know he got to be manager for three games and he just seems like a cool chill fun guy to talk with everyone should have had Dave Jouse and they all would have been launching home runs I don't think Pete missed that many home runs at the home run derby I don't think he made too many misses and he is the defending champ again maybe next year maybe he'll go for it again maybe he'll go for a three-peat who knows another bit of news And this one's a big one for me. I know fans are divided on this, but for me, I'm a huge fan of this. The Mets are back in black. The black jerseys are officially back, man. Mets released an awesome promo showing their history and that the first game that they will wear these jerseys will be Friday, July 3rd. They will also be worn for every remaining Friday night home game. Now, the jersey itself, there's no real differences to the jersey. It will have the orange Nike swoosh. That may be one big difference because now the jerseys are made by Nike. The only, I want to say, big change is that it will have the original Mets logo instead of that alternate black logo that it had in like 99, 2000, where the skyline, the buildings in the skyline were black instead of blue. I like the classic logo on it. I think it makes it stand out a whole lot more on the jersey. So I can't wait to see this before we wrap up this show please take a few minutes to write me a review let me know what you think of the show what you like what you don't like i want to make this show better each and every week for you med fans and let's climb the rankings in med podcast baseball podcast sports podcast let's do it five stars will make me very happy and a nice little review telling me what you think of the show. So you could do that on Apple Podcasts, and I would very much appreciate it. Follow the show on Twitter at Subway to Shea. Listen and subscribe to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Cast. Turn on those notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. You can also find Subway to Shea on YouTube. This podcast is available on the HSP Network. Catch me alongside podcasts like The Bullpen with DA, Third Floor Lounge, which covers the NFL and NBA, Sus Talk, and their flagship show, The High Spot Podcast, which covers all things professional wrestling. Just search High Spot Podcast on YouTube or youtube.com slash highspotpodcast and make sure to subscribe today. Well, that will do it for this week's podcast. Always remember, listen, subscribe, share, and review. For Anthony Rivera, you've been listening to Subway to Shea. Let's go Mets.